This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, all snuggled up on a rather dull, dank day, is Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. We're in a rainy old uh, piece of uh, Norfolk today, but over there in Cambridgeshire, where the sun was shining a little while ago, I hope that it still is, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen looking vibrant in this lovely bright red, which is cheering up my day no end because it is a dull old day here. Um, We've still got a little bit of drizzle outside, but it's supposed to brighten up. In fact, it actually has already, because we have a very special guest today, don't we? We do, who's also bathed in sunshine, Ben Preston, or I think we possibly renamed him on the last appearance on the podcast, Ben Bonnie Preston, a head gardener <laughs> at York Gate. Can you believe it? Three months since we last caught up with you, Ben. I know, yeah, it's um, it's been a it's been a busy three months, but yeah, we've um, we've had a lot of snow since we've last last spoken to you. Um, in fact, we've got, that's why my face is glowing white this morning. Is that we've had four inches of snow last night, and it's so white outside and bright that it's reflecting in the window and brightening me up. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's great. We've got a lot of work done, but we've been incredibly wet. Um, it's been we've had a lot of snow, but we've managed to get a lot done, and. Um, Fingers crossed we'll be ready and raring for, for April if we're allowed. God knows where we're going to go from here, but who knows? Four inches of snow, if it disappears by the end of the week, I'll be happy. We've got some photographers coming in next week to take a couple of pictures of the snowdrops, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, we usually have our annual snowdrop week, um, sort of second, third week in February. And we can't, obviously, we can't open for, for, for obvious reasons. Um, but I've got a few snowdrops recently that we'll chat about as well. But... <laughs> Few guilty, few guilty pleasures. I bought one on eBay the other night for the first time, which I think is a very slippery slope. Yes, very slippery indeed. That's how you end up losing hundreds of pounds. <laughs> we were having a podcast the other day. No, this is this is a radio program. A friend of mine, Brian, uh, he actually sent me, winged me over a photograph of this snowdrop, which has lemon stems, a golden ovary, and golden marks daubs on the outside of the petals. And I said, "Gosh, that's really nice." And then I started talking about the most expensive snowdrop that had ever been sold, which I think was golden fleece in itself for something like 1,300 and something pounds a bulb. Pounds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I said, what's the name of your snowdrop in between radio? I was emailing on my computer, you see, and he said, um, <laughs> that's golden fleece. <laughs> and I'd already said to him, have you got some to spare at the end of the season? Because he divides and sells them, you see. And so yeah, he yeah. said, yes. And I thought, well, I better, be, better open my piggy bank. He said, yeah, can you put open the gold one? <laughs> well, interestingly, so I am very good friends with uh, with a lady called Anne Wright. And yeah. uh, Anne, Anne Wright, is, uh, she owns Dryad Nurseries. Um, and she's she's famed for, uh, for miniature daffodils and, and the snowdrops. And she's bred five of the most expensive snowdrops ever bred, which... Just, just behind Golden Fleece is the Gold Range, the Dryad Gold Range. Um, and they're absolutely magnificent. And she's also bred some amazing inverse peculiar form ones that she's just released, Venus, Demeter and Artemis. But 
Do you think we wait a minute, Ben? Do you think for all those people out there that are sort of um, probably not afay with all our terminologies and everything, we ought to um, perhaps explain what poculiform means? Absolutely, and actually, it, it links me to my first eBay purchase, which was a poculiform. So, for those I'm going to keep it fairly simple. The the, the standard Galanthus nivalis, the snowdrop that we all know, is is got three outer. They're actually tepals. We call them petals. Three outer petals and three inner petals and three outer petals generally longer. So when you look at a snowdrop, you think of three large petals and then three inners, which has got the green marking on. So peculiar form is actually when all the inners and the outers are the same length. So you have six petals that are all the same length. And I bought one called Don Armstrong the other night, which was bred in, in Canada. And um, so it's a pure white snowdrop that's six petals that are all of the same length. Inverse peculiar form is when the inners, which possess the green markings, appear on the outside. So the outers are bigger than the inners, or they're all equal size. And that's when you see these lovely snowdrops that have got that. If you think of um, some of you will know Mr. Grumpy, which is a famous snowdrop, which has got the, the grumpy face on, on the inner of the, of the snowdrop. So their markings are typical of, of the inner. So when you get them on the outside, which are bigger, that's the inverse peculiar form. So hopefully that dispels a few myths about peculiar form and inverse peculiar form. About right? Yeah, you're perfectly right. On the, mo on the money, Ben. <laughs> well, literally on the money if you've just been buying lots of snowdrops. Yes, um, it, it wasn't terribly expensive, but it was, uh, it actually was, I bought it a friend of mine, but really, really, I mean, I think people say, oh, why would you spend that much on a snowdrop? But I mean, why would you spend that much on a pair of shoes, a handbag, a, a, a tree for the garden, a, a car? I mean, it's each their own and you know, they're such a bringer of joy at this time of year. They're, they're really the highlight of the gardening, you know, the start of the highlight of the gardening year. And why not get excited about a, a little a little plant? Um, An extra so think, plus point, Ben. An extra plus point is the fact that if you could spend £100 on a snowdrop bulb, and I remember doing this with green tear. Um, which is a lovely snowdrop. Maybe more, um, which is a very expensive snowdrop, green on the outers, which is a lovely thing to have. Although... I have to say, it doesn't show up well in the garden. It's a demure little thing. I mean, you have to look for it. Um, but then it increases like one of. And that's the great thing. So you probably find that Golden Fleece, if you bought it for 1,300 and whatever it was, um, today it's much, much cheaper because lots of people will have had a bulb or two and they will have bulked it up. And so therefore, you know, supply and demand dictates that it becomes less expensive. Absolutely. And um, we actually, and it's something I teach uh, my trainees at York is, um, and my, my friend Anne taught me how to chip and the way that she's she's perfected. Yeah. So chipping his, or twin skin, as it's called with, with daffodils, is when you, so you've got traditional, the best way to describe it is if you've got an onion, when you've got all your segments on your onion, um, the base plate is where, is what you need. So it's a, a bit of the base plate. So when you when you divide the bulb up, as long as you've got a bit of that base plate, there's, there's a chance of creating a new bulbil. Um, so we'll take a, a standard snowdrop and you can cut it into 16 pieces, which will take three years to flower, but you can bulk up your snowdrops much, much quicker. It's a really great horticultural technique. I know we talk about grafting and all these things that are sort of the wizardry of horticulture. I mean, I put chipping right up there with that. I think you're absolutely right. I agree with that. But one thing that I find with um, that some people try to be too greedy with one bulb and chop it into too many pieces and if you do that, you get um, weak growing yeah. bulbs. I had this with um, a, a snowdrop called walrus. I don't know whether you know walrus. But I do the, um, the double that's all, it's a bit yeah. crazy, yeah. It's got the outers that are long like tusks that hang yeah. down. Well, I've got, I had, 
I bought that. Very disappointing. It failed to do much at all, really. And then um, somebody said to me, I bet whoever you got it from a twin scaled that and they've been too greedy with it. So I tried again from, from them. They said, well, I've got one that won't do that. Have this. And, and it's a different, a different animal. I mean, it, it's so vigorous and it's lovely. I think it depends as well on them. It can often depend on the bulb that you start off with and how vigorous the plant is. There's, there's various things that come into it. And I think the, the technique that we're not overly greedy with, with when we cut ours, I wouldn't divide it in the larger bulbs um, into 16 or less. Um, yeah. But the, the technique that Anne's developed in is a, is a, you put it in a vermiculite in a sealed container. So it's nine parts vermiculite and one part water. And you, it's got to be sealed. And interestingly, I didn't have enough lids a few years ago. And there was a few pots that didn't have the sealed lid on and they desiccated. Um, so it's really important that you've got a, a minimal moisture content, but enough so that they don't desiccate. And then you'll find four, six, eight weeks later that you, you can see the, almost like when you cut an onion and you've got a quarter and you've got the individual pieces, they sort of start to split and these little bulbs, these little bulbils emerge and then you can grow them on. Um, yeah. but it's a really, I mean, it's a great horticultural technique and it's, it's, really, it's a really fun thing to, to teach and, and you can bulk up these expensive products. I think it's a lovely thing for people to do because it's it's achievable, it's reasonably difficult, and it's a bit like growing bulbs from seed. If, for instance, say you uh, t- let's have take tulip tulipa sprangeri, the last tulip flower, the lovely wild red flowered tulip is a beautiful thing. Um, a lot of people balk at the thought of paying five pounds for a bulb, for a single bulb for of this tulip. Now that's what it is. But if you grow it from seed, once you've got a plant, if you save the seed and you grow it between three and five years, you'll have your first flowers. Now that seems an awful long time to wait, but if you do it every year, every year- Yeah, that's obsession. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. Great tulip, by the way, great tulip. And there'll be loads more of them in the world now because Alan did a fantastic video showing people how to do that. And uh, it's been incredibly popular. And then we did a follow up, I think three years on with the same seed tray showing how they, how the bulbs had grown. So we'll, we'll link to that. So people can go and go and find yeah, out. Yeah, it's quite an interesting point. On I was chatting. I think before last time I spoke to you, I actually went to Derry Watkins. I went to her garden. Then you had her on the. Then you've had her on the podcast. But we got into a deep discussion about tube springerite, and the true tube springerite actually slightly stolen ifrus. Yeah. Um, and yeah. As, as well as seeding around, they will actually, you know, they will produce stones and they will run around, but they don't all do it. And a lot of the ones that you get from bulbs, um, you know. From, suppliers they're slightly they are they've got a slightly different genetic strain and they don't they aren't still interested and they will only set seed and, and spring around so i think the true the true spring right is from what i gather is meant to be still nifers but yeah. i'm yet to get it to flower here it is slightly but and but there's also a fact about tulips in general i mean some of the tulips that even those that are hybridized they will produce what's called a dropper bulb and that dropper bulb is produced from the old bulb and it goes down lower so if you go and dig your tulips up, quite often you think you've got them all and you haven't because there's some lurking a couple of inches below the surface of the other bulb. Um, and they produce these dropper bulbs, which is a, a, a way of being stoloniferous. We tend to think of stolons as creeping under the ground horizontally, yeah. but they can actually just go straight down. That's Don't amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. That's what this is all about. It's great to learn these little and yeah picking up these little nuggets of information and uh, every year and it's um i mean it's just why gardening is so magical isn't it yeah and i often think i don't know whether i'm right or whether i'm wrong but i often think if you've got a tulip that produces a dropper bulb that's much more likely to become a permanent ingredient in your garden rather than fade away absolutely yeah absolutely and 
think it's interesting. Something I've tried to do over, over the last couple of years is try to get. We've got good good soil here for for growing bulbs. It's sandy loam, but planting them deeper than we maybe would have done. Get them as deep as we can, and then you know on the on the on the bulb list they are suggested some of the hybrid cultivars that do do you know they are more perennial and rather than replacing them every year we're trying to get trying to get sort of colonies of, of the cultivars as well and or even just topping them up each year so you might get slightly smaller bulbs of others but just rather than ripping everything out and putting everything back in again it try, well, that, try you to touch on something there ben which i think is much more natural looking as well because if tulip bulbs are left in the ground you will get some that will go smaller um yeah and they Therefore, they produce slightly smaller flowers, which is a much more naturalistic look in the garden than it is to have everything like a boiled egg on a, sti on a stick, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I think you've got to play around. And the other things, I mean, I've lost a fair few, um, that especially ones that we've, like, we've bought more expensive ones for in pots and things. Um, so always the species ones. And if you, if you don't look after them right, oh, yeah, they get left and they don't get watered or whatever and at the wrong time. And I mean, we lose. I mean, interesting, going back to the Snowdrops, Rosemary Burnham, which we agreed last year that was our favourite one. I went to look at the pot the other day, and it's the only one that's we've lost. It's rotted. It's disappeared. It got too wet, and um, it's a lovely viridescent one. It's got the green outer markings, and um, it's it's gone. Um, and it was our favourite snowdrop last year. It's not a cheap snowdrop, and um, it's rotted away. So <laughs> goodbye, Rosemary. Hopefully, we'll get we'll get another one somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's all. <laughs> Yeah, we were all very sad. I had to text Jack to say we'd lost Rosemary. <laughs> so, um, what other snowdrops did you end up buying in your naughty galant? Well, I, I only I only bought the one Don Armstrong. I um, we get my friend Anne um gives us a lot of so I bought Don Armstrong for my personal start my personal collection, but all the bulbs here are Yorkgate. So I've I've collected plants sort of as the garden, and they will stay with the garden no matter if I move on. And I've got I've got one I've got one here actually. Um. This is Franz, Franz Joseph. The reason why I got Franz Joseph is because of my travels in New Zealand. Um, Franz Joseph's an amazing place in New Zealand and it's a lovely, lovely, double, very dainty uh, snowdrop. And I, I got Franz Joseph just because of the nostalgia from, me travel, from my travels to New Zealand. And I think it's nice to link plants in with that nostalgia. And I will be fond of Franz Joseph just because of my travels to New Zealand. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a, there's, there's often no rhyme or reason why we collect plants, is there? But um, you can attach a bit of a story to it. There's a great connection there, though, isn't there? I mean, that's, I think that's what it's about. And I mean, you will always treasure plants that somebody's given you because you remember that person and you remember the conversations you had and you remember the good times you've had and everything else. Exactly. Um, yeah, so it's a personal thing. It's lovely. I think that's, that's how plants sort of tell stories. You walk around your garden and it's just, it's not only how beautiful it is but it's all the stories that those plants tell you as well yes yeah i think i think you're right and the history of the history of the garden evolves with with every plant that comes in and and i'd take a plant as simple as uh cortea ricardii um which is a lovely plant on the they were just thinning out yesterday the old old leaves and the, the old flower stems but the um a chap brought it to sybil back in the, i think it was in the 70s brought her a um it's, it's new zealand grass um but he was from america and he brought her this little pot of um, Cotera Cadian with plants in the garden. And his sister, um, his sister, his daughter, about 30 years later, came to the garden and said, my, my plant, my mum my, my gave, or my father, gave this plant to Sybil. Um, and it's huge, great. I mean, probably four foot at the base now, seven foot, and then the flower spikes at sort of eight foot. And that, what a lovely thing to visit somewhere across the other side of the world that your dad's given a plant and then you come back and see it in all its glory in 30 years later. So... 
yeah, I mean that, and these stories keep on coming up. That's very strange because I first saw uh, this uh, Cortadilla Riccardi. I first saw it in the garden, an antique dealer many years ago. Went up to Scotland to go to a sale, uh, an antique sale. Um, and I kept seeing this pampas grass and it was July and this pampas grass had flowers on it, you see. And I kept thinking, well, what is this? Why don't we get flowers until September or October? And they got it up here. And then I found that instead of being Cortadilla, um, whatever it is, it's Cortadilla ricardii. And it comes from New Zealand where it's called the New Zealand toy toy, which is spelled T-O-E-T-O-E. Um, and then when I later went to New Zealand, I saw it all over the place. And we've got it here and it seeded itself um, around in quite a few places as well. Sometimes it's convenient, sometimes less so. But I mean, it's put absolutely between stones in the desert, and you you can leave the ones that are convenient, and it looks it just looks perfect. It's wonderful, and it flowers in July. Yeah, it's a good statement plant, and flowers in July. And as I say, we we literally took out the the flowered stems yesterday, so you know we're, we're July through till February, and it's it, yeah. it keeps them. Nice job, Ben, because it's very sharp, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I got the trainings to do it. I didn't do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, they did a crack. In fact, it looks very good. It's um, interestingly, Tom, when Tom was extracting some of the old leaves, he's created a bit of a horseshoe. It's sort of it's built up in the middle. I think it's probably ready for a for a lift. It's almost growing about thirty centimeters off the ground where they've sort of yeah. they've root they've they've seeded themselves into the the dying you know the organic matter of of what's been dropped before. So. Um, we actually took a few of the outer ones off and planted them in to try and create the space. But I'm, I'm reluctant. It's one of these plants that it's a great statement and we'd have to really knock it back several years to rejuvenate it. So I'm going to give it another couple of years and, 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 and then maybe do it then. Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, Ben. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I realised the other day, seeing as I'm the person who has to do all the gardening, I mean, in my tiny garden, it's not like it's a big job, but I've become a real coward. I now shy away from plants that are too spiny and thorny. I just I just think, oh, they're beautiful. Ah, oh, but I'm going to have to deal with that. And uh, so I think I'll go for something else. Uh, there are ways to deal with those plants, you know. I mean, first of all, get yourself a good pair of gauntlets. <laughs> but the other thing, I was just thinking when Ben was talking about Cortadera ricardi, I had it builds up on itself. Sometimes what we do is we take... I mean, we have something called a chrome in the garden. It's like a fork and it's got the tines are bent down. If you see like a big giant rake. And if you get one of those on a short handle and you drag it through like a comb, you can rake out all the, all the nasty old dead bits from the middle of a clump of grasses. I wouldn't probably do it yet. I'd wait until the snow had gone, but um, you know, wait until it's a bit more, uh, weather's a bit nicer to do that. Yeah. It's a great thing to do. And if you've got, I mean, people laugh at me when I say this, but. You know, you see these, uh, some of these uh, Carex, for instance, the one that looks like a brown wig that's blown off somebody's head when they haven't fixed it. <laughs> Laying there on the floor, it gets to be a bit of a tangled mess. If you can get a really wide toothed comb, like kind of tomb you, combs you use for uh, going through horses and things like that. Curry combs, I suppose, are they? Oh, I don't know, what are they Maybe, called? yeah. Um, but if you can get a long, single row of teeth and you drag that through the grasses you'd be amazed at how much dead detritus you pull out yeah it's, it's it's quite it's quite amazing yeah i was just thinking about then when you were saying about um in your garden clothes you've got the dream job now you you get to listen to plants people every week and you, you've got that you must have a, an amazing dream plant list 
Oh yeah. I think we should publish our Flomo list. I mean, literally. And then also the other side of it is collecting up pictures. And obviously I then get sidetracked because it's not just a straightforward thing of finding the photos I need. Someone like Jimmy Blake's Instagram. That Googling. I mean, <laughs> Jimmy Blake's Instagram is just one long list of Flomo, same as Matt Pottish, same as you. So I'm just drowning in Flomo now. <laughs> Well, it's, it's great that you're soaking up all these plants. Now, before we started recording this podcast, you were running around gathering all kinds of exciting things for show and tell, Ben. So I'm desperate to see what you've gathered. Right. Well, first of all, is I did have more show and tell that was outside the back door. And yesterday was good weather and there was four inches of snow. So I had to ditch my first collection of show and tell. But <laughs> I've got equally, I've got potentially even better plants. Um <laughs> Uh, opposite ends of the spectrum, so I but I'm going to start with the biggie. And this is this is the this is the rosette of um, Lobelia fistulosa, um, and I don't know if um, Alan's grown it before, but it's a Brazilian forest edge plant, and we grew it from. If I'm just going to show the size of pot, it's in like a 15 litre pot. Um, so this is a this was some seed we got from Mike Clifford, and. We, I just looked at the seed list this morning and we sowed the seed on the 10th of February last year. And I'm hoping, well, I'm going to put this in some big terracotta pots outside the cafe and it flowers at 12, 15 foot. And it is, a, it is the giant purple, I think I've wrote it on the common name, giant purple lobelia. And it was a lobelia fistulosa, but whopping great spires. Um, and you can get seed from, from Mike. Um, I'll talk about Mike again in a minute because I've got a few seeds off him. But yeah, lobelia fistulosa, so... Although it's taken a bit of, we've grown it on for a year, I think it'll be worth it because I think we're going to, I think we've got seven plants of it and they're going to be, fingers crossed, mammoth plants outside the cafe on the terrace. I'll let you know, Ben, because I have got it. And I, All grew, right. yeah, I grew it from seed again, came from Mike. And, um, you know, you see this thing, it's this giant rosette and it just suddenly shoots up this huge spire of purple flowers. Um, mine is just starting its first flower bud. Now, whether it'll get to anything like 15 feet, I, I, I somehow don't think so, because it is in a it's in a pot, which is about a metre across, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's in a pretty big pot that uh, I, too, am going to put it outside. But it's just forming the flower bud. You can see the bud coming now. So I'm just hoping it's, it will hang on till I can get it outside. Yeah, a couple of hours have started producing buds, and we've sort of tried to we tried to hold them off. Yeah. Flowering. Um, so we'll see. So we've got a few at different stages, but... Yeah, well, well, we'll just have to see. I've never seen it flower. I mean, I hope it does. Well, you've done better than me because you've got seven. I got one. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it'll flower and we can send you some seed. Um, but on, on that point, Mike, I mean, Mike um, Mike Clifford, he's, I actually was lucky enough to go to his garden in 2019. Um, he has an amazing open day and they propagate all sorts of plants for sale. Um, and it all goes to charity when he opens his garden. But I mean, what a place. I mean, it's down in Poole in Dorset on the south coast. And he's got such a big collection of eucomis, aeoniums, he's got nepenthes, he's got bananas. And it's literally like a mini, mini botanical garden um, around his bungalow. And it's just, he's, and he's a, he's a, he reminds me a lot of Jack who works here. Um, Jack's a younger version of Mike, wearing flowery shirts and just an absolute plant wizard and just great with it. Um, um, a real good person to, to just to be around. He's, he's, he's really, really great. I've got another one from Mike. Um, so this is um, Vasiocella, I think Vasiocella pubescens, which is, is mountain papaya. Um, and look at that leaf, amazing leaf. So 
we grew this from seed last year and we sowed it early last year and we we put it in in some pots outside the the additions um some big tulip we plant tulips in them big vase shaped pot that sort of stands at two three feet really deep narrow pot um and that went in the center and then we put some sorometums around it and really really bonkers display but the taproot on it reached right to the bottom of the pot so it had a thick taproot on it that was two foot deep so we when we were knocking the pots out jackson what, what the hell are we going to do with this um and because we can't pot it on because we want to put it in plastic to pop it in the greenhouse for the winter so we literally just we cut the taproot off and and this is this is it's, it's fine it didn't didn't blink um so it's, it's in a much it's in about a, i think it's in a five liter pot um or a deep three liter pot um, and, it, and it's it's done absolutely fine, and we're gonna we're gonna put it in in the ground this year, and potentially we're getting a new greenhouse that's slightly taller. That um, maybe you never know in a year or two, it'll fruit. But we're gonna grow it from seed again. Um, really cool plant. So yeah, if anybody fancies something a bit tropical in the garden, and even from the first year, it produces a really decent tropical leaf. So if you're looking for something in a pot in a courtyard garden, or even try it in the ground, I think mountain papaya, lassie cellar is one for you. <laughs> And the most fascinating thing about that, Ben, is the way it produces its flowers and its fruits off the main stem. Absolutely. They sort of, they hug the, yeah. it's really, really tight yeah. to the stem. Hence the reason to try and keep it growing under glass so that you can get some flowers and hopefully some fruit as well. I think, um, well, you've we'll been be in the garden, East Russ, and you know, we've got a pelly house, which is quite tall. We've got a, um, a paving slab, which is, we took out in the middle to grow various things in it. Over the years, we've had a lemon tree. We've had um, jacaranda, which flowered and did very well. We had um, dahlia imperialis, which flowered from October through to February, I suppose, probably, um, which did very well there. And I'm just thinking that this uh, basiocella, this mountain papaya, could be a lovely candidate for that, because if it's got the height in there, like you, your new greenhouse is going to have, I think I, I think I might have a little um, look, see if I can find a plant or two. If not, that'd be seed job, and then we'll see if we can grow it here. And, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've got we could we've got a spare plant. Um, oh, please! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's if, if, if any fruit, if there's any fruit, I'm coming down for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, right then, I'll carry on. And um, that was show the start. So actually, I've got I've got a plant here, and I've got the start of the life cycle, and I've got the end of the life cycle, and. Um, so I'll show you the start. This is this is a Grostis capillularis. Um, and it's like a little, I don't know if some of you might have grown panic and frost explosion, but it's, an, it's a little annual grass that produced this lovely plume of flowers. And um, I may have mentioned it on the last podcast, I can't remember. But um, I do an autumn sowing and we'll do a spring sowing. So it's, it's harder. So I'll put this out in, in March. Um, and I'm going to do another sowing this month. Um, and you get these lovely little explosions of frothy flowers. And one of the, it was actually Andy, our trainee, that had selected it for his annual display last year, and I'd not not seen it before. Um, and the real highlight was um, calendula Indian summer was growing up through it, and this bright orange flower in this froth. And I'm going to show you now because I actually I have it in my living room. Um, this is the this is the flower head, and I've just I've tied a bit of string on the base of it to keep it together. Um, and I, I mean, it stays in my living room next to a lamp like I've, right through the winter and some of the seeds have dropped around but I mean it's just gorgeous and you can imagine what that looks like in in the summer with with calendula growing through it and then you can save these these seed heads and use it as a as a house decoration so I really want to use it as a brush for cobwebs yeah. <laughs> I brought something else to do with seeds that I'll show you in a minute but and this is this is a tiny plant I've propagated from and um this is my favorite plant this time of year 
and I hope they can see it well. You see, these, this is um, Corridalis Tamura chocolate starts, which obviously this is a little offset that I've grown, and it's just coming up now. And if you get a mild winter, they start coming up in December, but we've, we've had a we've had a fairly cold one in, in January. So, um, but this is a fantastic Corridalis. You can see, I mean, it literally is. They are milk chocolate. I think it's a terrible name, but um, <laughs> but yeah, um, chocolate stars. But Corridalis is a great group of plants, and this is produce these plumes of, it's almost like feathery fern-like foliage until April time. Then they sort of fade, they start fading to green, they produce these purple flowers, which yeah, are almost... It makes a huge mound, Ben, doesn't it? I mean, it's not, yeah. it doesn't stay like that tiny little thing in a pot. It makes a real mound, about two foot tall, 60 centimetres tall. It does. And, um, I mean, we've got some great pictures of it in the garden, which I just wanted to show you with a little leaf close up. But, yeah, you're right, it creates this, this real mound of chocolate froth. And people is that and we've got it in this lovely bed under this uh, weeping birch and there's aconites around but there's snowdrops there's cyclamen there's the carex that you were talking about and um, and then later on other things come through but this this time of year the bed looks amazing with it with all these sort of and there's um helleborus fortitis in there as well and you've got this absolute cacophony of plants in february um and it's just a great great bed and it just shows you what you can do this early in the year but that's for me that's a must-have plant um, yeah, agree great. with you. What else have we got with me? Uh, I've got, I've got daffodil. Um, you may have seen it on my Instagram a few days oh, ago. This, I so wanted you to bring this. This is exquisite. This, hopefully, you'll see the picture of it on, but it's a tiny. I mean, you can see it's about the size of my thumbnail of the flowers. But this is uh, this is Narcissus asoanus, which species Narcissus for me are lovely and. There's a reason why these aren't as popular as snowdrops is because they're more difficult to grow. And because I think they were, I mean, I've just got it in my face now and the smell is just really heady. And a lot of these species, Narcissi, um, a lot of them come from Southern Spain. And when I was down there, the Tazettas, which a lot of them know as paper, paper whites, um, there's the Jonquil types, there's Remuxiis. There's all these little um, daffodils that we'll see and we'll see cultivars of them sold. You know, you get golden bells and you get, um, I'm trying to think the little one that I bought that was like this, but the true species for me, they're, they're such underrated plants. And I've actually, I've put quite a few of these in our Mediterranean sand garden as well. These are from Anne as well, from Anne, from Anne Wright as a, as a gift to the garden. And um, this is from a, a succulent house, but what a magical little plant. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. Now they are typical of the kind of plants. If you save the seed, I mean, you can't buy them everywhere. They're, they're quite scarce. But if you save the seed and you plant the seed and you grow it on three to five years, you'll have flowers of your own. And, and you know, that's a way to get more and more of them. It's yeah, and again, the twin scaling, if you can think. And then I've brought a bit of a wild card. <laughs> this is a Lachinalia, um, which is a South African plant. Um, hopefully the glare of the sunshine. But these lovely drooping um, sort of tubular flowers that's, uh, and get these leaves, but he said, when I brought it in, I seem to have uh, destabilized it a little bit. But it was it was growing happily in the uh, in the succulent house. But yeah, Lachinale is just something to brighten up. Uh, we keep it frost free, the succulent house. Um, and we just try to add a few different bits of interest. Um, which obviously we've got the little we've got the little um, narcissi, and we've got these lovely Lachinalias that. And that's a. I'll read you the species abid abid. I can't say it. It's a b i d e s. However you pronounce that. <laughs> um, but, um, if people want to buy Lacanalias, I think um, one of the nurseries that I know that actually sells some quite unusual ones is, is Jacques Armand. Yeah. Um, and I know uh, John, he's, he goes by the name of John. I know him quite well. 
And he always says to me, when you're in London, just pop by and, you know, have a look, see what we've got to offer. But he does have a, an enormous, I mean, he has this enormous network throughout the continent of people that grow for him. And they might grow one thing, they might grow three things. But that's how he's able in his, in his catalogue to have odd little sections where he has lacanalias like you're talking about there, but he perhaps has seven different varieties, but might only have 10 of each. Um, you see what I mean? So you do get the chance to buy them. It's interesting you mentioned the continent because I think um, with with obviously the change in in plant plant import rules for the bigger yeah. for the bigger nurse and we we do we do import a few plants and we've got our our peach number of things that you need to import plants but for some of the smaller nurseries where you have to pay you have to pay a cost for every shipment for them to be checked it's, it's actually made things unaccessible for certainly people the smaller group selling bulbs. People like Jackamons are going to be fine and they're going to be really a source where we can get our plants from. But it's going to, for a couple of years, it's going to make things a little bit more difficult um, for some of the rarer bits. And I think it's going to, I think, it, first of all, it'll rejuvenate the, the British nursery market. But it's very sad because yeah. it's a great thing to do with the plants with our friends on the continent as well as, as, well as in the UK. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it develops, the plant world develops over the next decade because I think it's going to change. It's going to change for... For, for, for the better and for the worse, depending on, 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 on what's what. Well, I think it would make a great deal of difference to what I call the hobby growers. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, you quite often get people, they've got a small greenhouse, probably a heated greenhouse, and they're able to concentrate on something that they love. Um, and they will actually be able to find a market for some of the things that they produce, which is which is very good, I think. And it also keeps it it keeps it in England where it should be. Really, we should be able to get these things, not just from everywhere around the world, but from you know shop locally. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think, um, and that's it's interesting. So the way that we're I've, I've brought something else. Um, it's actually I've brought my propagation list because this applies to the, the everyday garden as well as as well as a garden like us. And I've not always been organised, um, but. <laughs> I'm traditionally very disorganised, but um, I'm starting to get into a rhythm now and coming into my, my fourth season at Yorkgate. And what I've done is I create an Excel spreadsheet and it's got things like the location for the garden, the number required, the month to sow. And actually, I've got a drop down tab on the Excel spreadsheet. So I can just drop down February and everything for February is on the is on this list of three pages for sowing in February. <laughs> But it means that we won't miss anything and I can I can decide and it stops me going a bit off piece in the middle of the season. So I've done the seed list for the whole year. There's pages and pages and on the expedition I can drop it down. And these are all the seeds for February. So I just wanted to mention a few things on that. First thing that sticks out is uh, Calcellaria Mexicana. Um, lovely little um, sort of annual, bi it's biennial, but flowers first year from seed. Lovely bright yellow um, Calcellaria. And the and the um, the dahlias from seed as well. I've got Australis seed. I've got coccinia seed. I collected myself. Valpalmarae seed, Merkei seed, and you get a whopping great plant if you sow this this early on. You've got a, a greenhouse to to keep them going in. Um, you know, come the end of the summer, you get a decent plant like you would from a tuber. There's impatien, different impatiens. There's there's some linarias. There's there's also the veg garden seeds on here. We've got lettuce speckled trout. There's lola beyonder. The salad green bowl. Um, giant mustard um, and we start sowing as early as this and we sow into plugs and get, and get them going in the greenhouse into into modules and then we'll pop, pop them out and put a bit of fleece of them so we can get a much earlier salad and um, so really really useful tool it's in a proper propagation list and it's not something I've always done but it's something <laughs> I've managed to get my um my book gear to do but um and then you can also you can put whatever information you want on here um 
what it's going to be sewn into and what it's going to be pricked out into when it's got to go in the garden. Um, so you can dictate. This is the best way to get a really great garden, I think, is to be to be organised with a with a propagation list. That is amazing, though. I mean, that is a lot. It, three pages for February alone. Um, how much space do you have? And do you like you know the average gardener have to sort of weigh up different things and think, oh, I'm not sure I've got space for that one. I think we'll never have enough space. <laughs> you, you you grow whatever you can to the space that you've got. Um, a lot of this, a lot a lot of the seed on there is perennial, so. One thing that we're getting into now is is now we're getting to rhythms. The nursery will be going into its second year, but I've, the passion for me since starting the yoga is to create a, a nursery where we can propagate everything ourselves. If we can't propagate it, we won't sell it. Um, so we've got stock beds that are going in, but we've also got areas for lining out in the back. And part of that process, what we can't grow from seed will grow from cuttings or will grow from division. So some of these things will go, they'll get lined out or they will get they'll get pricked on and they'll be for sale. 2022 which myself and mark the nursery mark the nursery manager is formulating the the plan for the nursery but working really hard together and it's very very complex to get everything it's not growing the plant it's getting it to the stage where it's not pot bound or it's filled its pot and it's ready for the public and every single species got to be looked at individually it's going to take us 10 years to get to the point but it's, this is the start, really, of us growing from seed, and we're, we're buying plants in that will will be our stock plants, and we're sourcing from all the little nurseries, like Alan mentioned, really great plants, and then we'll propagate from them. But it's going to take a few years to get going. And neither of us have worked in a commercial nursery before, so we're doing it a little bit of trial and error. But the, the you know the amount the amount of income we can generate for the garden and the charity. Um, by growing plants ourselves, it's just phenomenal. And this this sheet is not just plants of the garden, plants of the nursery. So yeah, so that's a little tangent, but um, but nice also the, the joy when a garden is open. And Alan will know this. Anybody who opens their garden will know that people see something in the garden and then they want to buy it. Um, which I'm sure is a problem for Alan when you grow such a range of stuff and you can't possibly have all of that in your plant sales area. Um, you get told off occasionally. Yeah. Well, exactly. And Matt Pottish said on his podcast that they put in this variegated trachycarpus. Everybody goes to the plant sales area and wants to buy it. And it's incredibly hard to get hold of. So there's never going to be available. The short answer is, though, is you can't. Because, uh, I mean, Matt's got one because somebody very kindly donated it to Wisley um, through him. And uh, so that's how he's got it. But um, until somebody actually gets off their backside and, and actually, you know, physically gets it propagated, I think probably they might have to go to and do it scientifically. I mean, you know, yeah. clone it or however they do it. Um, but until that happens, it won't be in very, you know, it won't be in wide, you just won't be able to get it. <laughs> yeah, I think we've got to be, you know, we've got to be patient as gardeners. Is Yeah. You know, the, the plants that we, we save are the most. Go on. There's one thing I know about you, you're not that patient. <laughs> um, well, I'm patient with some things, not with others. Um, depends, what, depends what the skill of patience is. No, I'm not a patient person, but gardening actually has taught me patience. Um, I think a little bit of. Um, if, I want some, if I want something, I'll get it, of course. Um, but I think, you know, this, this thing about growing growing the plants on and, and, and growing them from seed, you know, that requires... Especially, you know, we're talking about things like um, Glock, you know, we're talking about growing Glockidiums for the nursery. Um, you know, they take seven years to flower from seed. And, you know, we're going to give it a go. We might only have 20 plants for sale, but we want to be able to produce these little gems where the real plant people come in and say, oh, I've wanted that for years. And 
it might be thirty pound, but we might have taken seven years to grow it. Might be. Well, it has to be. If you take, I mean, take, let's take peonies for instance. If you sow a peony seed for the first year, you get nothing because the first year it makes a root. It's only in the second year that it makes a shoot. Absolutely. And then, you know, that's your season. That's two years. So you've got to grow it probably for another five years to get to get it up to a flowering size plant. So I mean, that propagation period has to be paid for. If you want it, you have to you have to pay for it. And that, and going full circle back to the snowdrops, that's why these snowdrops are so expensive. And yeah. I have lots of chats with Anna about it. And you think about something like um, I don't know, one of the the new inverse pure form, the, the Venus. You know, two parent plants are selected. They're pollinated by hand and covered so that they don't get pollinated by anything else. So you've selected your parents. You have to collect the seed. You sow, you sow the seed collected from that plant, so you might get 40 seedlings. You have to grow them on for three years until they flower and select one that's, that's different. You have to make sure it's stable for a year. Then you have to chop it up and propagate it, which then they take another three years. So it takes 10 years to create a, something Golden, amazing. Golden Fleece actually took 18 years. 18 years, it's, it's amazing. There was enough to be saleable, and it, and it had all the. I mean, forget the propagation, but the other thing that you mentioned there, before people have trialed it enough to make sure that it is stable, to make sure that it's a good plant, and all the rest of it. You yeah, know, yeah. you've got to allow for those things. Otherwise, you know, you people will come back and say, "Well, I, you, you, did, you didn't say it was going to die." <laughs> or but in actual fact, golden fleece has turned out to be a nice snowdrop that does increase very well. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I've never, I've never seen it in person. Um, looks like a great snowdrop. Um, you bring your sunglasses, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be stealing it. <laughs> Brian Ellis, who has that uh, golden fleece, should be on the podcast next week. And uh, yeah, he, oh, he'd, he'd said in normal in normal times, I would have been able to go to his garden, but I'm frightened of going to look at all the snowdrops in Brian's garden. I mean, it's bad enough going to Alan's, but you know. We all know that Brian has got all of these amazing things and I have vowed to not start collecting snowdrops until I have a bigger garden because it's just a slippery slope. So I cannot even allow myself one. It's the small, it's the most amount of self-restraint I think I've ever shown. You can resist, but you'll fall for the trap. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it starts, Thordis, between you and I, it takes a, a silly old fool like me to say, oh, go on, Thordis, here you are, you have that one. You can find space for that. <laughs> Don't, do <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. I think I promised you green tea, did I not? Probably. <laughs> Who was a... Not green tea. I mean, green tea, if there's anything that's going to get me, it's probably green tea. Green tea. <laughs> I, in fact, I saw, um, I follow a chap called Dean Croucher on, on Instagram, um, and he put a lovely picture on and a lovely post about green tea a few days ago, and it looks like a lovely, lovely snowdrop. Yeah, it's um, really beautiful. It is. As I said, you know, it's one that you, it doesn't stand out in the garden. It's a lovely snowdrop. For the, for the um, people that are really interested, glanthophiles to look at and to enjoy. But it's not a great showy plant. I mean, it's discreet. Rather like yourself, Ben. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, actually, it's a seamless link from, uh, from Dean into, into Flomo because um, Dean is responsible for my Flomo. Um, if someone's <laughs> listening to this, this is the first time they've caught a Talking Dirty podcast FOMO may be a term you don't know, but it'll be a feeling you're familiar with um, because it's that FOMO you get, that fear of missing out about a plant, something you've seen on Instagram, which is what happened with me here, uh, or a magazine, or, you know, if you're lucky enough to be able to visit a garden in normal times in somebody's garden. And Dean, Dean R. Croucher, 
I think, or Crutcher, um, on Instagram, well worth following, amazing plantsman. And he put up a photo, I think it was a wider shot, in which there was this fantastically vivid pink flower and everybody commented on it. So then he put up a close-up saying, you know, everyone wanted to know what is this plant that he hadn't name-checked in the post. And it was a prunus, and I'm never going to be able to say it properly, but prunus moom benichidori? Mumi, yeah, Mumi Benicidori, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really it's, an ornamental apricot. It's got to be seen to be believed. I mean, the kind of, Alan's always known for describing things as sort of a sh shrieking chaparelli pink, but this is like a kind of, I mean, if they made a lipstick in this shade, I would buy it. It is just <laughs> in your face, fantastic. God, girl, it's bright. <laughs> stop you in your tracks kind of pink it just looked like a really lovely plant at this time of year when you need things to cheer you up it, it just looked fantastic it is i mean it, it absolutely brilliant plant um somebody i speak to richard the other day from um Sluton's nurseries in 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 lincolnshire who we buy an awful lot from and he was talking about um a, a, a new one of those um pruners that, that flowers now um it's, which you can, I mean, they're, they're scandard shrubs almost that you can grow as almost as a wall shrub. And they're jolly useful from that point of view, but yeah, because they're flowering when there's nothing. Well, I've just, I said nothing else around as Ben has just quite rightly said, there is a lot around us <laughs> of interest, but you know, flowers growing against a wall are quite valuable. Absolutely. Ben, Ben, what's your flamo this week? Um, do you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm not got much flamo this week. I think, I'd like Rosemary Burnham back. Um, <laughs> I'd like I'd like Rosemary Burnham back. Um, I've not. It's interesting. I've had a bit of a down. I've had a bit of a down period with with plants over Christmas. I've been sort of recentering myself and doing lots of exercise. So I've not been wondering too much about the plants. But I suppose from some of the things on my list here, um, aloe, po aloe polyphylla. Oh. We've got some seed. In fact, we've got some seed to germinate. Um, that we. I was told to germinate them in water. And then to and then to to sow them once they once they start to put out radical, um, and it's worked. Um, but I want to I want to grow some big whopping aloe polyphyllas myself. Put them out in the garden. That's my great plan. That's my real flower. And they're the really big... rare. Like there really aren't that many of them about, are there? I don't know how long they take to start sort of forming that fantastic swirl. And they don't they don't all spiral. I mean, oh. sometimes they don't get that really. I mean, you, you want that really tight Fibonacci spiral, don't you? Which is which when they look the best. You need to look, make it look as if it's been wound up. <laughs> yeah, exactly that, yeah. 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 yeah, so grow as many as possible and hope that some of them, some of them do that. What have you got, Alan? Well, now I've been speaking to you, Ben, <laughs> I mean, the list has grown. <laughs> I, have, I have to say that the mountain papaya, back on, back on Celia. Back on Celia, yeah. There. Um, I'm going to get that to, to go in the Pelly House somewhere, somehow or other. Um, but my, my flomo that I had written down for this morning was a repeat flowering rambling rose. And I'd, I'd only discovered it yesterday. It's, it's pink and it's, it's repeat flowering. It, it was bred by Peter Beals, uh, uh, who's in Norfolk, um, uh, flat, Peter Beals Roses. And it's called Rural England. Um, and it, I'm reassured that it's a decent plant because it's got an AGM after it, which is the Award of Garden Merit, which is, all, um, which is awarded by the Royal Horticultural Society. So it's obviously been grown and trialled. Um, so I'm looking forward to growing that. I went around the garden yesterday with Ian and I was looking at places where plants had sort of, should we say, outlived their usefulness. We had an apricot that was pulled off the wall. It got too big and too tall. 
um, a mimosa, Acacia baleana purpurea. It became a tree and of course it blew right over the path. So we had to cut that back. And I suddenly get this tall wall about, I don't know, 15, 18 feet tall, this piece of wall over the entrance into a little, little building in our wall garden. And I thought, ah, I had that rambler rose there. So it, 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 it was a flow-mo until this morning when I ordered it from Peter Beals. spoke to you. <laughs> Busy just, morning. <laughs> you just reminded me of something actually, a bit of a, a sad, a sad, another sad plant loss. Um, oh, we've got an amazing Eucryphia nymanensis in in sort of that's planted just outside the garden that you get a, a view from. And when we had the snow the other week, when we had the eight inches, it started the top of it splayed out. Ne it's never done it before, but sort of bent out. And then the snow this morning, I think. Oh yeah. Off, yeah. I mean, it's a twenty-foot tree, and the tips of the branches are touching the ground. Um, from the, I think it's been cut, it's been pruned at some point and then it's reshooted, but it's going to need a severe, it's going to, I don't think we've lost it, but it's going to need a real chop. It's going to need at least reducing by half, um, yeah. which you just can't, can't predict. You know, we've got wet, heavy snow. Yeah. I was looking on Instagram yesterday and I saw the pink flowered form of that Eucryphia and it's grown by a chap called John in North Norfolk and he's been growing it. I think he grew it from seed originally, but it, 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 it's now you, you can you can now buy it. And it was always thought of as being tender and his is now three metres tall. So it's been growing for some time to get to that height. Oh, it sounds lovely. It really does have pink flowers in August. I mean, I don't know of any other late flowering trees like that that have got pink flowers. No. Most, most of the late flowering shrubs and trees are actually white, white flowered, aren't they? Yeah, they are, yeah. So you've got all of this snow, Ben, waiting for you when we finish the podcast. Yeah, um, I'm going to do a bit of seed sowing this afternoon. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it was a bit unexpected. We, we had a good day's gardening yesterday. We've had, in fact, we've had, we've had a bit of a trouble that there's an old culvert that runs under the garden. Um, the, so the old, old English for addle is bog. So there's lots of springs and bogs all over the local area um, and there's various housing estates been built and the bogs have been drained and but the original the, the root of the water comes through the garden and fred spencer that designed the garden took into consideration his old culverts that he fills the pond and it runs through into the duck pond and then the stream and it's very clever how it fits with the garden um but somebody has reported that there was a this string in the walls being caused an issue which is as long as i've been here it's very boggy grass and we'd actually put a gunner in by the side of a um outside the garden jack had done a bit of guerrilla gardening but anyway they've come with a bigger and they've, they've taken it out and they've broken up the old culvert so i don't know how it's going to change the garden so it actually flooded our pond so we were we were decluttering the pond yesterday so we don't know what effects it'll have when they've changed the the waterworks but um oh, it might, might change the structure where the water runs through the garden so Fingers crossed it doesn't. Um, so, but we were cleaning up around the pond and cutting things back, and we cleared cleared out the cottage cardii and real good productive day. And then we've had um, had the snow again overnight. So back to square one. Typical England, no two days are alike. <laughs> That's why we love it though. Well, go yeah. tuck yourself up somewhere warm for a wonderful bit of seed sowing. Well, thank you for having me back on. That's been a pleasure again. Oh, it's a treat. Thank you. Oh, such a list of plants we all want now, Ben. Thanks to you. <laughs> There's one thing about Ben Preston, is it is that he will keep you poor. <laughs> well, that's you as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I keep myself poor as well, though. Yeah. Um, well, nice to see you both, and hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah, lovely to see yeah, you. Best, ben. Happy Ciao. gardening. Bye. 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 Hey, Fordis here. 
just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.